Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage, and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Our number five most downloaded episode in 2022 was with my sweet guest, Bonnie Burns. She writes and speaks about God's gift of sex in all its awesomeness. She is knowledgeable about scripture and science behind sex and orgasm, so it's an honor to get to learn from her. There's so much good news contained within this interview, so I can't wait to share it with you again. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Bonnie. Thank you, Laura. It is such an honor and privilege to be here to talk with you and to just share with your listeners. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I want to go back first and just learn, how did you originally begin writing about sex within a biblical worldview? I like to joke that my career as a Christian sexuality educator began in the fifth grade. <laughs> my mom saw that I was an early bloomer, so she prepared me. And then my classmates also saw that my girl classmates also saw I was an early bloomer. So I had a lot of questions on the fifth grade playground. But fast forward, writing about sex from a biblical worldview actually blended three things for me. And that was my love of God, my love of how the body works, and trying to figure out how to increase my own sexual interest. And so at about 15 years into our marriage, I had very little interest in having sexual intimacy with my husband because it was a huge sore spot. But I stepped up to the plate and decided I was going to figure this out. I wanted what the Song of Solomon talked about. So I started to figure some things out about my low sex drive. And what bloomed was that I wanted to share what I was learning with other women who were hurting. Wow. And just to pause at that point of your story, were there certain resources that you turned to or how were you educating yourself and then able to share the overflow? Right. So I love scientific studies. I was reading a lot of scientific studies like journal articles. Plus, I delved into at that time, it was Julie Slattery and Linda Dillow were starting to collaborate with Authentic Intimacy. So I studied at Julie's feet. I also did a lot of research with secular things as well. Authors that I remember are, well, Intimacy Ignited, which was one of Linda Dillow's books, was also pivotal, just to help me have more of a sex-positive view. Mm, That's so crucial because the way that we think really does impact the way we act and our Mm. beliefs change. Absolutely. And so did you see fruit of all of that effort as well? Did you have a different marriage after that? I did. I did. 
there was less friction outside of the bedroom. But what I would say, what really changed things inside of the bedroom was that I saw sex less as a battleground and I tried to build my friendship with my husband. That overflowed into better connection in the bedroom. That makes a ton of sense and I can't wait to go further into this topic. So as you just think back on your own sexual education, what are some pieces that you want us to be aware of? Well, so one of the pivotal things in theology that I learned that I think others may benefit from hearing is that in Genesis 4-1, when Adam knew Eve, that K-N-E-W, that word in Hebrew is yadah, and it means a deep, intimate knowing, not just of something, but of someone. There's a nuance of relationship in that word. And that word is also used in the Old Testament to describe how God wants to know us and how God wants us to know him. So sexual intimacy is about so much more than the physical. There's a very real spiritual component that because it's so subtle, it gets overlooked. But it is the crucial piece of sexual intimacy and connecting with your husband. Oh, that's good. And I can see how that flows into the greater intimacy, that spiritual intimacy and the emotional intimacy and the friendship that you're talking about, where sexual intimacy is just one part of the yada. Mm-hmm, exactly. And the other point that was pivotal for me was learning that my interest in sex does not mirror how my husband finds interest in sex. So that linear progression of excitement, plateau, orgasm, and resolution doesn't always translate to women. And most likely it doesn't translate to women. So sexual interest is more of a circular model where there's connection there's fun, there is a feeling of partnership, there's a feeling of respect and love. And that builds this sexual interest for women. We don't necessarily feel that drive in our nether regions before we engage. For us, it's more of a willingness. I guess I will speak more for the, the wives with a lower, the lower interest. It's more of a willingness to engage of, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Let's let's try that. Not um, like what we see in the movies of tearing each other's clothes off, which I mean, that passion can be there. But typically in a long term marriage, it's more of the uh, sexual interest and more subtle. And thank you for normalizing that. I love how you articulate as a circle and then even normalizing for women that your response cycle Maybe that there is actual stimulation first before desire really kicks mm -hmm. in in that yeah. way. Absolutely. You know, God made us all unique and wonderful. And I, we live on a spectrum of where zero is the woman with very low sexual interest. And then there's the gal that's at 10 who is the higher drive wife in her marriage and who does have a lot of physical response. And that is all normal. But my experience has been on the lower end of the spectrum. So that's where I speak from. And you've dedicated years to learning and growing in this area. 
So what have you learned to be some really practical ways that we can enhance our spiritual and emotional and sexual connection in marriage? It's a very unsexy answer, but it's what I found to be the key. And that's to build your friendship. I know I've already alluded to it in one of the other answers, but friendship encompasses so much yada. Friendship is not just emotional intimacy, but think back to what you did when you were dating. You made time for each other. You spent one-on-one time with each other. You probably weren't looking at your phones a whole lot. You were doing things that were fun. You did things that were intentional because you planned your dates. You decided what to do based on each other's interests. It was a compromise. So friendship, building your friendship in a long-term marriage looks a whole lot like how you dated in the beginning. Wow, Bonnie, and that really, when you sum it up, that also makes me think just being present. And when you're talking about the practical application, not being on your phones, that's really helpful for each of us to apply to think back to dating days. And will you also teach us more of the scientific findings of sex that we may be unaware of? Absolutely. One of the things that I think is key for women to know about their bodies is that when when we are conceived in our mother's womb, we're just a jumble of cells for a while and we nestle into the uterine wall and actually we are neither male nor female visually for quite a while. I mean there's the chromosomes are in there of course. But about the eighth week of development, God starts putting in building blocks. And these are foundational tissue structures that will either form into a male or into the female, depending on the chromosomes. But what was just so enlightening to me was that those building blocks are the same for each gender for each sex. That means what creates the male glands of the penis creates the female glands of the clitoris. So if you think about how easily men orgasm pretty readily, that means a female has that exact same potential. That is fascinating to hear how God originates it. And then as we grow and mature, what are some things that we may be unaware of at that point? So thinking back to those building blocks, we see the male structure as being more external. What we women often don't realize is that females have nearly that same surface area, but it's internal. And it's the clitoral network or the orgasmic network. It's a whole structure that's just buried treasure within your vulvar area, within your pubis mons area. It's just nestled in there and all of it is intertwined. So all of that clitoral network originates from the button that you see. That's like the tip of the iceberg. So on our other podcast, Sex Chat for Christian Wives, we often talk about the orgasmic iceberg because there's so much under the surface that we just don't see. And and really, we weren't aware of 
until they started doing some nuclear imaging. And there's some really great photos online now of, of what's internal. So when you think about the, the mass of orgasmic tissue, if orgasm is something you struggle with, understanding that you have just as much structure as a man does to create the neural firing, because that's really what orgasm is. It's a firing of your neurons. The other part of this orgasmic iceberg is that it also is erectile tissue. It also fills with blood upon excitement. And so that's why foreplay is so important because foreplay fires up our brain to know, okay, it's time to start filling the uh, erectile tissue just like you see your husband, his penis becomes erect. The orgasmic tissue that is erectile tissue also starts to firm up. And so that delicious feeling of arousal and climax comes in part from that erectile tissue being fully functioning and full of blood. And that's really helpful to understand because we can see it more readily. Like you said, the husband's, it's more external. You can see when he's having an erection and when he can experience orgasm. And in the same way, our erectile tissue as women has to be erect enough to be on the orgasmic platform where we have the possibility of having an orgasm. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, WinShape Marriage, with you. WinShape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. WinShape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, WinShape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of WinShape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I think we could do an entire episode on how God made our genitals and the clitoris, all this orgasmic tissue that you're talking about. Would that include the G-spot and then kind of the clitoral legs? Are you talking about that around the vaginal opening? Right. The, the cura or the legs and also the vestibular bulbs. Um, they're all intertwined. Um, the vestibular bulbs are erectile tissue, but they're not necessarily considered part of the clitoral network. The, the clitoral legs are more directly linked to the, the clitoral tissue and network. However, the vestibular bulbs are erectile tissue that are really very important. The vestibular bulbs kind of act like, if you think of a bracelet that's a cuff, 
you know, it doesn't actually connect at the bottom. It just wraps around your arm. That's what the vestibular bulbs do around your vaginal opening. They kind of cuff your vaginal opening. And that's why the vaginal opening is an erogenous zone. It's that, that vestibular bulbs are there to gently give firmness and structure. So the G-spot is still a little mysterious, and you've probably already discussed this with many other people on your podcast, but for me, my understanding is that it is a sponge. It's also kind of erectile tissue, but its purpose, because of where it's located, is to protect the urethra from the intensity of intercourse. And the byproduct of that is it creates another nice feeling within your vagina. So it's located on your anterior wall, which is towards the front of your body, about an inch or so into your vaginal canal. And if you insert a finger, the tissue feels rough, kind of like a washboard. Not all women have this spot, though. So if you don't have it, it's not unusual. But when um, arousal happens, this urethral sponge fills with blood to protect the urethra, which is right on top of it, from being damaged. The other part is the perineal sponge. And that's on the other side of your vaginal canal. And that protects your, your colon from being damaged from the intensity of intercourse as well. And so that's why the anal area, I'm not talking anal sex, I'm talking the anal area, which is also known as the perineum, which is between the vaginal canal and your anus. That's why that area can also be an erogenous zone. Also elaborating one more step further, for women who are listening that maybe orgasm has been an issue, you have written the book, Unlock Your Orgasm. So as we're thinking about this with the clitoris and with the orgasmic tissue, and when you say it's internal, if that's new to someone, how can they embrace that or use that to the advantage of the marriage in their sexual encounter with their spouse? Right. So understanding that there are some things inside of you that help with orgasm, not just your emotions and not just the spiritual aspect, but the physical aspect of I have all of this potential. Um, now, how do I use it? How do you use it? Well, I, I mentioned foreplay. Foreplay helps to fire those things up. And taking time in your lovemaking to explore those areas because externally you can start to feel arousal as they are blooming with blood. I know that sounds, <laughs> hold that loosely because there is blood down there. But yeah, understanding that there are those things inside that you can, as you're lovemaking and you can think about, so here's another aspect that I find very beneficial it's called a body awareness. It's when you're lovemaking to keep your brain from maybe intrusive thoughts or from, from those shortcuts that we really may have some things in our past that we don't want to use as shortcuts. To be able to think about how is my body feeling? Oh, that feels kind of good. Let me explore with my mind that area of my body and, and understand why it feels that good. 
um, that can be a way understanding that you have those internal structures may give you something to think about and focus on as you're engaging with your husband. Well, let's back it up because you speak to so many women on your podcast platform. And so I'd love to know if you have any tips to share as it relates to wives just starting to get in the mood for sex. Sure. I mean, there are the basics, which are, you know, aphrodisiac things you can try, foods. But my favorite, I get a lot of pushback for it, though, because it's kind of unromantic. But I'll tell you why I think it's beneficial in a minute. So my favorite getting in the mood is actually to schedule your sexual interludes. And and like I said, I get a lot of pushback because that's romance is about spontaneity and being in the moment and that type of thing. And while that is really nice in a long term marriage where there's children, there's busy schedules, there's stress, not having a time where you've kind of charted out when sexual intimacy can happen It might never happen, but if you've scheduled it out and you know when it's going to happen, you have time to prepare. And for me, as the low interest wife, my preparation looked like thinking about my husband during the day, remembering my sex positive messages, but also I would make sure that day I didn't use all of my energy. So I would choose not to do certain tasks or I would put off a responsibility for the next day so that I can serve my energy and reduce my stress for the day. And so that's why sex scheduling is my favorite. I mean, it doesn't have to be in stone. You guys can sit down on Sunday and look at your map of the week and say, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I've got less going on. Maybe we could try one of those days. And then if it doesn't happen Tuesday, you really try to make it happen Thursday. But then again, if it doesn't, then you look at the next week. I think that's so good, Bunny. That shows intentionality. And I think when you boil it down, that's just another way of becoming one is syncing our schedules. And that communicates to one another a powerful message. Yeah. So while that doesn't mean you can't have spontaneous times, it doesn't discount those. But the spontaneity in a busy life is going to happen a whole lot less than if you, again, like you say, sync up your oneness and look at your schedules. How did you find out about the Savvy Sauce? Did someone share this podcast with you? Hopefully you've been blessed through the content. And now we would love to invite each of you to share these episodes with friends and help us spread the word about the Savvy Sauce. You can share today's episode or go back and choose any one of your other previous favorites to share. Thanks for helping us out. And what are some other fascinating findings that you've discovered as it relates to the sexual intimacy and pleasure in marriage? I have found that trust is huge. Trust in marriage comes from relational safety and Finding relational safety, I know that's kind of an elusive term for some. Relational safety is just having a pattern of support, empathy, compassion, respect, goodwilled spouse, 
who uses kindness with you. That's relational safety. It's a pattern that you see. And trust is built out of those patterns. So if there are things going on outside of the bedroom that aren't kind, that aren't full of fruit of the spirit, that can absolutely mess with trust, which I don't like this word, but it's a, it's a phrase that you'll remember. You mess with their trust, you're going to mess with their lust. That would be, it's not really a physical effect. It's, it's an emotional and spiritual connection outside of the bedroom that will enhance inside of the bedroom. And I love how we're coming from all angles. So that's emotional and spiritual. When we look at our physical design, I'm just going to ask a few more pointed questions. Like, let's talk about vitamin D. How does that impact sex and pleasure in marriage? Vitamin D is a testosterone precursor. And vitamin D we get from the sun. So there is an interesting study that the more sunlight you receive, the more interest in sex you may have. So I don't know if you personally have had the experience, listeners, of being at the beach and then coming home and feeling, although beach time usually is exhausting because the sun does take it out of you, but also there's a relaxation and kind of a sexual interest is built after a day at the beach. And that can be from the vitamin D you get from the sun because it helps with testosterone. Which is so fascinating. You were the first person that shared about that study where I learned about that. What are some of the hormonal effects and the connection between sleep and sex? Well, sleep, first and foremost, sleep energizes us. It replenishes our energy so that we can march into the new day facing it with a lot of resilience If we don't prioritize our sleep, we get run down, we don't have the resilience, and stress can really become a battle. So prioritizing sleep helps with stress levels. It also helps replenish our our neurochemicals. And one of those things is testosterone, which is, you know, there's a high correlation between testosterone and feelings of sexual arousal or sex drive or just desiring to engage. So sleep is, I mean, it's important for all areas of our life, but it is also pertinent to your sex life. Which I think that's such a helpful reminder, because if we don't change anything going forward, but we just prioritize our sleep, I wonder what kind of change that Mm. would lead to. Absolutely. And then finally, the physical question I'm curious about, have you seen any correlation between taking good care of ourselves and staying healthy than being connected to enjoying our sexual connection with our spouse more. Oh, absolutely. Self-care is so important. I think one of the things for a low interest wife is if she has been passive in the bedroom is shifting into becoming more engaged and knowing what she wants. And one of the easiest ways to prioritize your interest inside of the bedroom is to prioritize yourself outside of the bedroom. So when you know what self-care methods really replenish you, when you figure out what you need outside of the bedroom, when you understand that you are a mutual partner 
outside of the bedroom in the marriage, you can be a more mutual partner inside the bedroom. And I think that shift from passivity to being more engaged and active is very important for empowerment. If you haven't felt sexually confident, even though it may be super scary to make that shift into, I'm going to be more engaged, I believe it will help your sexual experience in the long run. And some people learn best by examples. Do you have any ways that you do this or ways that you've heard feedback for women that they do prioritize themselves outside the bedroom? What would that actually look like? Well, I know when you talk about self-care, the first thing that comes to mind is pedicures and bubble baths and hair and nails. And that's fine. Those are fun. Absolutely. For me, personally, my self-care Because I'm kind of an ambivert. I'm one of those people who can be very extroverted, but I need my downtime. My self-care was building that downtime into my life. It wasn't girls' nights out. Those actually drained me more. Now that I'm older and looking back, prioritizing my self-care was giving myself time to some Bible study to do some deep thinking because that's where I would recharge and whatever that looks like for you for me it was spending an hour in the morning before I started my work day alone with God and maybe you don't have an hour maybe you've only got 15 minutes but building that alone time for me like I said it was with God it was very very important made me a better person just to connect with him and to remember his love and to remember why I have my faith in him. Being recharged in that way helped me to be able to be fully present in the bedroom. And Bonnie, what are some ways that Christians can enjoy this gift of sex to the fullest while remaining within the loving boundaries that are laid out in Scripture? Absolutely. You know, I think when I first started my research, when I first started my journey towards trying to understand myself as a sexual person in regards to what God says about sex, I realized I had confused and blended all of those scriptures about sexual immorality with married sex. So I had this view that sex was dirty and naughty. And maybe some of that came from culture, too, because, you know, it's dirty and naughty and exciting. Once you get married then and are trying to engage and are trying to build a relationship with God, if you're thinking that sex is dirty and naughty, you're going to reject it. You're going to turn from it. But what I realized, the verses about sexual immorality are not about married sex. Within the marriage, there are really very few stipulations. I think Hebrews 13.4, where it talks about the marriage bed being undefiled, that's one of the biggest markers, one of our biggest guidelines, because a defiled marriage bed is where you're bringing in a third party. So you don't want to bring in any third parties with your brain or in real life. But other than that, there are really very few stipulations. I guess what I would say is to ask between the two of you, 
is it building intimacy between the two of you, whatever act it is you want to engage in, and is it physically benefit? Is it physically healthy? It doesn't have to be necessarily sex in itself is a physical benefit. Your body actually does gain a lot from sexual experience. But what I'm talking about is I am talking about anal sex. Actually, uh, it is not a physically beneficial act because the anal tissue is not the same as the vaginal canal. The vaginal canal was built to be a place of intercourse and the anal tissue is very delicate. And if it is damaged, you can actually have sepsis, which is a blood poisoning. And it can also damage your ability through your other body functions. And just to contrast that further, you say that there are even just physical benefits to our body when we engage in sexual intercourse. Are there a few at the top of your mind to share? Yeah, one of my favorite studies, and this is from the early 2000s, but I love this one. It is that consistent sexual intimacy will help you look 10 years younger as you age. (laughs) (laughs) So I joke that sex is cheaper than plastic surgery. (laughs) (laughs) And another one I think about is um, because sex is a kind of physical exertion, it helps burn the stress hormone cortisol. So if sex can actually be a stress reliever and also the vaginal wall absorbs some of the semen. And because semen is filled with testosterone, that can be kind of an antidepressant. Wow. The more you share about anything scientific, I just feel like it really points back to our creator that he is so creative. That is almost unbelievable, all of the benefits. So thank you. That's very helpful. Bonnie, you have so much more knowledge that you could share. So if anyone wants to learn more from you after today, where would you direct them to follow you online? Well, they can find me a number of places. Uh, My original blog that I started in 2012, it's still up. It doesn't have as many new articles as I would like, but it's still there. There's a lot of information. It's called Oysterbed7, oysterbed7.com, the number seven. Of course, I'm on Facebook, Oysterbed7. I am also a professionally certified coach, and I do walk with wives with low sexual interest, and my coaching links are on Oysterbed 7 as well. And then last but certainly not least is the other podcast I'm on, Sex Chat for Christian Wives. And that's on iTunes and any other outlet where you listen to your podcasts. Wonderful. I will link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode to make it easy for everyone to find all of those great places. But Bonnie, you may know that our podcast is called The Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question for you today, what is your savvy sauce? Well, my savvy sauce is that I blend science, scripture, and practical tools. I'm an outside-of-the-box thinker, and I challenge traditional teachings. But I'm also a down-to-earth lady that sincerely wants to help all marriages thrive with a bit of sense of humor. Hmm. Yes, I would agree and attest to all of that that you've said. And really, even going back, you had mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. And I experienced that even in getting a conversation with you. You are so gentle in your approach and so kind. So thank you for sharing today and thank you for being my guest. 
Oh, my honor and privilege, Laura. Thank you so much. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.